0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, Christmas is two days away. Joy to the world. Or is it Christmas is just two days away? Panic time. You know, the news called yesterday Panic Saturday. And it's where people realize, "Uh uh-oh, I better do my shopping now. And they had to do it the old-fashioned way, not online. They went to the stores because there was no time to order it online. And guess who most of the shoppers were? Men. Yes, that's right, men. And if they were husbands, I mean, all they had to do was buy gifts for one person, right? Is that the way it works in your house? Well, it could be a panic time, but actually... We're in the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Advent is all about preparation. Preparation for the arrival of Jesus. You see, there's the first Advent, and that's what Christmas is all about, where imagine God enters into humanity as a little baby through that Virgin Mary. And that's what we're going to celebrate in just a couple days. But there's also the second advent and that's about the arrival of Jesus at the end of time when he will bring this world as we know it to an end and everyone will stand before him and he will judge the nations. That second advent. By the way, those are the readings that we heard today. In case you wondered why were we hearing about the end of the world right before Christmas, it's because that is also an advent of our Lord. And the second advent reminds us of the reality of what took place in the first advent, that Jesus came as king. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of of his righteousness, and wonders of his love. Those words penned by Isaac Watts, and I learned something a couple of weeks ago, and Pastor Mark said that when Isaac Watts wrote those words, they weren't really intended to be a Christmas hymn. It was really about the second advent of our Lord. He rules the world. He rules the world. When you listen to the news... When you hear the events going on, when you see the tragedies taking place, when you hear about the trouble that we are experiencing, whether it's in our nation or across the globe or in our community or maybe in your own family, you could say he rules the world. You see, sometimes it looks like the reverse of that. There was a kindergarten teacher who was uh, preparing her students for their Christmas program. And uh, she had four angels, cute little angels, that she gave them cut out letters. And at the right moment, they were to hold up their letters, and it would spell the word star. So she carefully lined them up in front. And when it was their moment, they held up their cut out letters. But... The parents, the grandparents began, you could hear the giggling and then laughter and a roar, finally, among all the people. Because, you see, the kids lined up in reverse. And instead of spelling star, it spelled rats. You know that receiving Jesus into your life, knowing him as Lord and Savior, doesn't insulate you from trouble? Just ask Mary and Joseph, would you? They had plenty of chaos going on. Why, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Yes, we do have trouble. Sometimes we want the star, and we end up with rats. A number of years ago, an 85-year-old woman was in the store trying to pick out Christmas cards for her family when two young ladies befriended her. And while one was asking her, which of these cards do you like better? The other was stealing her wallet. And they made out of there as fast as they could to spend the money and use the credit cards as much as they could before they got caught. That woman was my mother. Rats. Maybe for you, as you come closer to Christmas, there's some things that you hope for that now look like it's just not going to work out that way. Our hopes... Our expectations can sometimes, even though be enthusiastic, they can be misplaced. I love the story of a grandmother reading the story about the birth of Jesus to her little granddaughter. And she got to the point where it said, and Mary was great with child. And uh, the little girl said, what does that mean, Grandma? And Grandma tried to explain to her it means that Mary's about to have a baby. And the little girl with all kinds of enthusiasm said, Oh, goody, I hope it's a girl. You got to love the enthusiasm, but it's misplaced. And there are those that have misplaced enthusiasm that they hope somehow at Christmas... Everything will end up just like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Everybody's going to get along. It's going to be peace and tranquility. People who don't get along all the rest of the year somehow magically will all love each other this Christmas. What is it that you're facing? You want the star. But it can become a rat's thing. Perhaps it's sickness. Perhaps Perhaps the family can't all be together this year. It may be that this is the first Christmas without a loved one, that mom or dad or a spouse or sibling or even a child passed away. And now you're facing Christmas without them. Well, here's what I want you to know. He rules the world. Even when it doesn't look like it, because it didn't look like it when Jesus was birthed into the world. It didn't look like it. If you asked anybody living in that day who rules here in Judea, they would have told you Herod does. King Herod. Everybody knows that. Herod ruled with a mighty fist. I mean, that guy was a politician. He knew how to play Rome like a fiddle. He knew how to handle the tensions between the factions of the religious zealots and and others. And he didn't let anything get in the way of his rules. Matter of fact, he called himself Herod the Great. He wasn't satisfied with just being King Herod. Herod the Great. And he built some magnificent palaces and fortresses. Do you know he expanded the temple in Jerusalem? with porches and porticos and pools. I mean, it's one of the wonders of the world. It's said that 50,000 people could celebrate the Passover because of Herod's porches and porticos. And then he built a place called Herodium. Herodium is just right outside of Jerusalem, three miles away from Bethlehem. And Herod, like normal made it something magnificent. He had 200 white marble steps that went up to the Herodian. It was a massive building project, an extravagant bathhouse, a cylinder structure 200 feet around and seven stories high. I want to show you the picture of the mount upon which Herod built the Herodium. Now, this is a picture taken from right around Uh, Bethlehem. And I want you to see how it just, it looms over this little town of Bethlehem. Herod decided that the mountain wasn't tall enough for, to reflect his greatness. So he actually had massive amounts of dirt and rocks brought up there as he built this. Because he intended this to be his burial place. He did not intend to disappear into a grave forgotten. No, this was an in-your-face burial place designed to keep people aware and impressed by his power and by his strength. You see, Herod was building his kingdom, and he did it at the expense of those around him, even his loved ones. He put to death his uncle, his three sons, his mother-in-law, because he thought they were going to take away his power. Josephus, the historian, said it'd be better to be Herod's pig than to be his relative. You'd be safer. Herod thought he was great building his kingdom. But it's interesting. Around the same time, right before Herod actually died, Jesus was birthed. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus was also building his kingdom. As a matter of fact, we're told that when Jesus began his ministry, his very first words were about the kingdom. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. And you can enter it. Repent and believe the good news. Actually, this king and this kingdom was a far greater scope than Herod could ever have dreamed. As a matter of fact, it's spoken of throughout the scriptures. It's prophesied. It begins in Genesis chapter 3. You probably know the promise, the very first promise given. Where after Adam and Eve were deceived by the devil and they fell into sin. They rebelled against God. This was God's promise. He said, one will come born of woman who will destroy the devil and his works. A promise was given. Someone, a savior is coming. Isaiah, I love the way Isaiah puts this in chapter 9. He says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Do you hear that? There will be no end to his rulership, for he is great. Indeed, indeed, I love how Micah, a prophet, probably a contemporary of Isaiah, he actually named the exact place where this king would be born. Remember the verses, chapter 5, verse 2 of Micah? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. I love that. Not only does he name the village Bethlehem, Ephrathah were actually the fields that were right around Bethlehem. The fields, by the way, that where the shepherds raised the sheep, That would be used for the sacrifices in Jerusalem just some six, seven miles away. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans, out of you will come one for, uh, for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. Whose origins are from of old, from ancient of time. See, here is what I want you to understand, that Jesus rules, that he is the Lord. Now, look at the contrast between Herod, who thought he was building his kingdom, and Jesus, who came to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus was born basically in obscurity, in a little village, in an animal shelter. When I take groups to Israel, I sometimes take them to Bethlehem and we'll go to the caves just outside of Bethlehem where often they would keep their animals safe there or during the winter and even today do you know that the practice is often to build a house on top of a cave the people lived in the house you had a cave below here's a picture of one present day a house can you see it on the hillside and the cave down below and not uncommon and so when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem. There was no room in the inn, and so they ended up in the animal shelter. That's where Jesus was born. Think of the humility of him coming into this world. So the contrast between Herod and the Herod way, thinking that I have to prove my importance, I have wealth, I have power, and I will make people know that I am important. I will hang on to that power. And you have Jesus who said, no, I will lay down my life. The contrast is amazing. Now, how did it work out for Herod? Well, let me show you a picture of the Herodian today. Here it is. It's a ruins. (laughs) They can't even find Herod, by the way. He was buried there, supposedly. Don't know. It's long gone. And so it comes to ruins. And here's what I want you to know. Nobody worships. At Herodium. And frankly. Nobody cares about it. But did you know that people still come from all over the world. To Bethlehem. To worship Christ the Lord. They come to worship him. Not only that in cathedrals and churches. And we're very blessed here aren't we. With a beautiful sanctuary. We come to worship Jesus Christ. Now, it has nothing to do with the building itself. It has to do with who Jesus is. And here's what I want you to know. He rules the world with truth. This is the truth and I don't want you to miss this because no one ever dreamed that this could happen, that God, deity, took on human flesh and blood. Do you understand that? He humbled himself to the point where it's hard to see. It doesn't look like he's the king, but he is. He's in full control of this world and will call it to an end someday. He is God himself among us. He rules with truth. Now, that would be very scary that he comes back, except he doesn't just rule with truth, he also rules with grace. Because God made it clear that he's willing to enter into your mess and my mess, our brokenness, our sin-broken world, to bring his forgiveness and love. As a matter of fact, if anything, the Christmas story tells us, God's not very choosy about where he shows up. He's willing to come right where we are. And then he did the unthinkable. God made flesh, living a sinless life. He went even further to do the unthinkable. Paul says it best, so let me read it from Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus... Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. That's the unthinkable. God infinite would die i want you to understand that our sin is so great that this is what it took that we would be delivered from sin from death and from satan himself it has to be eternal god or you have no savior and he did this for you and me and therefore god has exalted him above every other name that every knee should bow and tongue confess To the glory of the Father, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, instead of condemning us, came to lay down his life for us. He comes to forgive us. Now, what he shows is the glory of his righteousness. Because you see, it's not what we do that earns God's forgiveness. It's nothing about us because we don't have righteousness. It's God's righteousness given to us as a gift. We're saved by grace through faith. Baptized into the family of God. And so the nations prove the glories of His righteousness. Because I'll tell you, no nation can make things right in this world. No politician, no group can make things right. It's God who makes things right with his own righteousness. And the wonders of his love. I mean, this love is overwhelming. My concern is that we hear the message so often, it loses its power and impact. But let me tell you, the wonders of his love become the most powerful Not when we think we're doing pretty good, but when we realize that we are weak, when we have shame, when we are hurting, when we realize how helpless we are, that in this life it seems like everything is reversed, and we wonder if he rules, God comes to us with his amazing love, and his love changes everything that we can have joy no matter what. My brother-in-law, Dave, was a man who was a man of action. I mean, here's a guy who built his own log cabin home, three stories. He built it. Here's a man that was never sitting down, taking it easy. He always wanted a project. He discovered that he had cancer, and it was back behind the eyes and in the nasal cavity section. And it was so far advanced that the doctors told him, we could give you treatment, but it will probably kill you. You could just go home and have hospice care and get ready to die. David, being the kind of man he is, he said, no, I want to take this on. I will go through the treatment. So he went through chemotherapy, followed up by radiation, very intense radiation. He literally spent hours under radiation. But what they had to do is take a metal strap, put it around his head so he couldn't move any part of his head as they did the radiation. It was so intense. And Dave told me that in one moment, when it was the worst It was more painful. He didn't think he could stand it anymore. He felt so helpless. He prayed a prayer that he had often prayed, but this time he prayed it with new depth, with new understanding. He said, Father, your will be done, whether I live or die. And Dave said that at that moment, He experienced something he never dreamed he would experience, lying there helpless. He experienced God's love. It got to the very depth of his soul, his spirit, his mind. He knew that God was for him, not against him. And he was so taken by that love that when he got out of that treatment, he went home, he started devouring the scriptures. He wanted to read more about his Lord, his Savior. And he would read it every day for hours. And he went to his pastor and he said, I want to do whatever I can to serve with you. I want to be by your side. I want everybody to know the great love, the wonder of the love of our God. Dave was actually a walking miracle for years. And then just recently, he got to enter into the presence of Jesus and experience what we heard about in Revelation 22, where you see God. You know what? He wasn't afraid. Why? Because he knew the love of God, who gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Here's what I want you to hear. I don't know what all you're going through. But I know that because we are a sin-broken people and this is a sin-broken world, I know we face trouble. I know we face challenges. There are times when you feel so weak. Maybe you're dealing with shame. Maybe you're dealing with sickness. Maybe you're dealing with fear or anger. Let me tell you this. God is not afraid to enter into your mess. He meets you at your point of weakness and he brings you his forgiveness and his love because here's the truth. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. May that be yours this day. In Jesus' name, amen.